0: Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. Hallelujah. Hey, welcome to church, everybody. As you're finding your seat, why don't you tell your neighbor, you don't stink, but I think you need a bath? You don't stink. But I think you need a bath There is this Fictitious medicine in The Star Wars universe called Bacta, okay, Bacta is like this Miracle medicine, you Spray it on yourself or you Dunk yourself in a bath of it And it begins to heal your cells And puts you all back together, even if dramatic Things have gone wrong, it starts to put you Back together, God's word Is kind of like Bacta we don't even always know what's wrong with us. We don't even know what's wrong in our hearts. We don't know what's messed up in our spirits. But God's word comes along, and baby, it's just—it's real supernatural medicine. And you know, We just dunk in it. Things that you didn't know needed healed begin to get healed because of God's word. And that's where we're going. I hope you know you didn't come to listen to some MOOC just give you a talk. You came for a back-to-bath in God's word. So before we get started, I want to thank everybody who participated in the 7-day uh, fast that ends today. Thank you for those of you however you fasted, whatever you gave up or, you know, forwent or whatever you did, if you participated, it means a lot. And thank you for praying as we start this year, we want to start it the right way. Also, for those of you who are still wondering, maybe you should sign up for the emotionally healthy spirituality class. There's still time to do it, but it's already half full. So, if you're going to get in, get while well, the getting's good, go to fierce.church/groups. And you can do that. That'll be on Wednesday nights starting February 3rd. Um, so I like extreme stuff. All right, that's just, that's just my way. If you can make it extreme, it's a little more fun for me. I like extreme fighting a little bit more than normal boxing. I think it's just cool. And I was just doing some research, randomly looking for things that are extreme. What other kind of extreme sports are out there? And some that I found, the first one was crocodile bungee. Let's take a look. Okay, you wouldn't know it, but crocodile bungee doesn't just include bungee jumping off a bridge, but it's into crocodile infested waters. People actually do this. This is a real thing. So I thought that was, hey, I'm just, I'm wondering how long till the crocodiles get wise. You know, they just start to time this thing. They're like, you morons, I know you're about to jump in here, you know, and they just get them. Anywho, there's also um, volcano boarding. I don't know if you've heard of this. This is where You just essentially jump on a snowboard or get your family on a toboggan and go down an active volcano, okay? You can literally watch videos of this online. Um, I didn't see any lava like that. I think this is probably a Photoshop's photo, but you can still see people, you know, uh, skating around on what looks to be very hot soil. So um, that's a thing. But my very favorite is extreme ironing. And I love this not only because of the ridiculous the ridiculous ways people try to iron, whether it's skydiving. Man, don't you just hope they don't drop that iron? Like, who's down there? Um, That looks bad, but there's also, you know, you see ones underwater, and in every case, I'm like, you know, just so you know, that's not going to work. Like, the shirt doesn't actually lose wrinkles when you do it that way. But I'm just a big fan of extreme, and maybe I was an extreme kind of a a mindset when my wife years ago first told me about the Pioneer Woman. Okay, yeah, some of you like her. So I didn't know who she was yet. Now I know that she's a celebrity chef, but at the time she tells me about this Pioneer Woman, and instantly my mind goes to extremes. pioneer? Okay, so that makes me think of, what is she on the frontier? Like, what is she doing? Is she cooking in dangerous situations? I'm thinking like, maybe she's like a little house on the prairie girl and she doesn't have much to work with, but she's like in a shed, you know, and there's snakes on the counter. She got to make bread, you know, and there's scorpions on the ground. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm just going there. I'm like, this is going to be great. I'm going to love this show. What is she doing? Well, you know, then I find out she's just a nice lady that likes butter and her husband wears a cowboy hat. So she's a pioneer, I guess. I don't know How that works. And I, you know, I know my wife likes her, and I'm sure she's nice, but it wasn't really what I had in mind when I was thinking of pioneer, you know, extreme woman. But we all go to extremes, don't we? In all kinds of areas, we get a little bit lopsided in different places. If you were to talk about extreme sports, maybe that's one of the things that you could say. You could say, extreme sports focus on one thing almost to the disregard or neglect of other things. So they focus on one aspect of ironing per se, but they throw out all logic and they throw out all safety and they just focus on the weirdest ways you could possibly iron. And we do this in different ways. So some of you know this with health, right? Like you're, okay, and I'm just picking fictitious ideas out of the air, but let's just say you could work out every day, but then you find out, you know, that you also smoke every day. And then you're like, I don't know if you know, but that's a little ironic. Um, And I'm not dissing anybody. I'm just saying you got to, you got to see the irony In that Right. Or you could have, you know, marriage is something that you really need to keep in balance because there's a lot of things. There's a lot of aspects to marriage. So maybe you want a really passionate marriage, which tends, you know, to include stuff like spontaneity. But if your entire marriage is spontaneous and there's no nothing predictable about it, well, I've just known enough marriages to know that's not going to go very well for very long. Or you want to be a parent that wants to be your kid's best friend but you never want them to respect. You never want to do any kind of discipline because you just want to be so cuddly and close. Well, check it out. They're actually going to not respect you pretty early on. And that's, that's imbalanced. It's lopsided because we wanted to go extreme in one area, but we missed another aspect of it that would have kept the thing in balance. Well, we have to make sure that we keep in balance about God's priorities because life is actually just, a, just like Dr. Seuss told us. It's a great balancing act. And especially when it comes to money, turns out God says a lot of things about money, not just a few things. And we have to go to God's word. Somebody say God's word. We got to go to God's word to keep things in balance because we all tend toward extremes. We tend toward our favorite thing instead of all the things. So here's Solomon. He's a rich dude, a lot of money. So I feel like he could weigh in on this, uh, Ecclesiastes 7.18, he says it's best to stay in touch with both sides of an issue. A person who fears God deals responsibly. Somebody say responsibly. Responsibly with all of reality, not just a piece of it. So we're in this series, Financial Fresh Start, and I just thought it might be helpful for us to distinguish there's a difference between a fresh start and just doing it again just as dumb. Right, okay? So you, you, you get another try, but if you did it dumb the first time and you just repeat said dumbness, it's not really a fresh start, okay? So like if you got a football team and all they ever do is run the same play, honey, after a while, it don't matter if you get another down, okay? Because they're gonna do the same dumb thing. They're not gonna make any progress. If you if you play video games and you go up against a level that you and you you totally bomb it, and then you do the level again, you get another try, and you do the same dumb things. You didn't pass the level because you didn't really have a fresh start. So let's say fresh start might include stuff like, let's rethink the strategy. Let's learn new information. Let's have different presuppositions so that when we go into that thing again, we're not just repeating our previous dumbness. We're doing it from a very different position in order to have a little bit better success. A true fresh start requires a change of heart and a change of mind. See, if our thinking is wrong, our results are going to be wrong. And if our thinking stays wrong, our results are going to stay wrong. Let me give you an example. So if you went to seminary, one of the classes that you might take or several classes on it would be biblical counseling. Okay, So biblical counseling is where you learn to help people with their problems from God's word. You're looking. You're asking the question. When someone comes to you for counseling, you're saying, "What does God see here? What does God say is out of joint? What does God say is wrong? And how does the Bible answer that so I can put that thing back in alignment, or I can, you know, help that happen?" But when people come to you for for biblical counseling, okay, I'm going I'm to do a little little hyperbole. I'm going to exaggerate a little bit. Um, I promise. I'm going to tell everybody your problems, or at least I won't tell them your name, or at least your last name. Um, <laughs> when someone comes for for counseling, what they'll often give you at first is the presentation problem, okay? That means this is the pain point that they're experiencing. This is how they're feeling. Just like when you go to a doctor and you're saying, hey, here's where I'm feeling pain. People come to a pastor or a biblical counselor and they say, here's where I'm feeling pain. They think that's the problem often, but what a pastor has to do is then probe a little bit deeper or someone else who's trained in these areas, they have to probe a little bit, they have to ask questions, and say, well, tell me what else? What else is going on? Because the presentation problem is rarely the actual problem. Now, sometimes it's related. Sometimes it's a part of it. But often, that's not really what God wants to get down to and deal with. So, you know, a couple comes and they say, you know, here's a problem, Carter. I just married the wrong person. And that's the presentation problem. I married the wrong person. And as we probe and as we ask questions, it turns out, well, Here's what else is true. Also, you're ridiculously self-centered. You can't have a conversation for three minutes without arguing, and you have absolutely no accountability in your life. Any chance that's related to the problem? <laughs> and, it, of course, that is, that's the thing that God actually wants to deal with, is our heart. So, now let's talk about money. We're in a financial fresh start series. When we have money problems or debt problems, what we really have is heart problems and thinking problems. We're thinking about it the wrong way. You got into debt because you think about money wrong or you relate to money wrong. You had presuppositions that don't lead to success. And so God says, let's change your presuppositions. And how about this? You know, Solomon said, they deal responsibly with all of reality, not just part of it. We got to go to God's reality. we got to say, God, what is real? What have you said is true about how we're going to relate to this? And as I absorb what you say is true, as I live within your reality, things begin to come back into alignment. So we're going to look at God's reality. And as we look, gaze into God's word, he's going to transform our thinking, but also our hearts. God cares about your and my money because he cares about our hearts. and He cares about who we are. And so he sends us to God's word and says, I've, I've actually given you a lot of answers in here. All you have to do is take a look. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look around in the scriptures. You're going to get a lot of scripture today, okay? A lot of bacta, and we're going to bathe in it, and we're going to get more imbalance. So we're going to talk about the source of money and the danger of money today. Source of money. Here's something you can write down if you're taking notes. Work is the pipeline God uses to get us money, but neither the money nor the job are our source. Work is the pipeline God uses to get us money, but neither the money nor the job are our source. Of course, there's going to be uh, you know, asterisk uh, examples that we could talk about. Of course, maybe some of you are retired. Maybe some of you, your job is to be a, you know, a parent at home. That's certainly one of the possibilities here. But just let's look at the principle here. God has ordained work as the common way we get money. That's how he gets money into our hands. And God doesn't just care where we work, but who we're becoming while we work, because God is not after automatons. He's after sons and daughters of the living God who are learning to do things as he does them. So wherever you work or whatever you're doing, God has a plan that he wants to shape you in that environment to become who he wants you to be. We see this even in the beginning, very beginning, Genesis two fifteen. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So God takes Adam and he puts him in this already designed place. Have you ever noticed that? He didn't like put him just in a random forest or a random wilderness. God had already made it a garden. He had already given some examples. He, he taught Adam from the very beginning, well, this is what I want. This is what I want you to I want you to bring order here. And I want you to you know smooth this over and make this beautiful. Adam, I'm... Uh, assigning you your work, and I want you to learn my I do that because I want you to learn of me. I want you to learn, Adam, how I do things and the way that I would do things. But Adam wasn't just given like a, bank, a blank slate and said, well, you know, I don't care what you do, Adam. Just do whatever. Even in a perfect environment, there was work because work was blessed. And God wanted to use work to reveal himself to his creation, Now, Adam was really lucky because he was one of the only ones, one of the only two they got to experience what work was like before the fall. Fall made work worse. It made it harder. It made it so it was a chore. It made it so it's not always invigorating. But for Adam, at least, man, there's a blueprint. He gets to be super creative, and he knows there's meaning attached to his work as he does it unto the Lord. And I think that there's clues in there for us. See, men and women are most happy when they have meaningful work to put their mind to and their muscle to. And even if they don't particularly consider it meaningful, God still sees it as meaningful. When we put our mind to things and our muscle to things, and that's the avenue, that's the primary normal avenue he wants to bring money about in our lives. And here's what we, we have to, oh my gosh, this generation needs to know. Men and women are typically only happy When they have meaningful work to do, even if they're retired, even if they're just financially in a position where they don't have to work, only when they have meaningful activity to do unto the Lord, are they going to be psychologically healthy? Are they going to be happy people? Exodus 34, 21, this is after the fall, but here God still has commands about this. He says, you have six days each week for your ordinary work, but on the seventh day, you must stop working. Even during the seasons of plowing and harvest, I just think it's really important that we like we need to take our cue from this. Six out of seven, these people were supposed to work. Now I think it's brilliant that we can have, you know, many folks have two days off a week, like Saturday and Sunday, or whenever that is for you. I mean that's wonderful, but just let's look at the blueprint. God says you're going to work for six, and you're going to rest on the seventh. So you can replenish and you can worship, but then you can go on back to the meaningful work that I assigned to humans when you were done. It's immoral not to work if you can. So unless you have a disability or some other reason that keeps you from seeking employment, we shouldn't get satisfied not being able to work. And I know that most people don't start satisfied. The problem is there's a seduction slowly that teaches us to be okay with less work than our flesh would like. The first century Christians, they totally got this, man. See, at first, they were like, I think Jesus is coming back any day, so let's just all wait around. And many of them, especially in Thessalonica, they quit their jobs. And Paul has to write them a letter and says, oh, you guys... There's actually quite a few things that have to happen before the Lord's going to come back, including the appearance of the Antichrist. And so he essentially says, so get back to work. What are you doing quitting your job, going to Bible study all day? Go back to work. You're you're shaming us with what you're doing here. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, while we were with you, we gave you the order. Whoever doesn't want to work shouldn't be allowed to eat. Now Paul's not making a governmental principle there. He's talking about this is within the church the people of God. This is how you should view it. So even though the government might do things for you if you don't want to work, Paul also says your moral compass should send you toward yeah, but nevertheless, I'm going to work and glorify the Lord with how I do this so that I don't get in the danger of overrest. I think we've got to be careful with this, man. So um, when Kens and I were probably in our late early 20s, I guess. We were moving back up here. We had lived in central Illinois and we were moving back up and we had the opportunity to move in with my parents for one month. Now, my parents live in a sweet place, okay? Like when we would go visit there, we were like, we lived in this little ramshackle little hut thing. I mean, we were in such a, we were like we were, in, we were poor, we were poor, poor little couple. And we come here and we we're like, this is paradise. Oh my Lord, you got know, a pool and we're we, our minds would be blown as we just spend any time there. So the prospect of, you know, staying there temporarily, you know, we had two kids. As we stayed there temporarily, it, w- it would be easy to just be like, oh, now we can relax. But there was something in us that knew better. Because we'd watch so many people, they get to the rest point, and then they just, oh. Well, I'm good for now. I'm just going to take my rest. And that is a dangerous place to be. And so we just made a deal between ourselves. We said, in 30 days, we will be somewhere else. Like, we're going to enjoy this. We're going to love my folks. We're going to be together. But we are not staying here because it's a trap. It's, it's, it's going to try to mess with our family culture. It's going to try to, what does it do? It removes the pressure from me. Now, listen, men and women, if you're single, um, you were meant to take a little pressure, Okay. Mom and dad and grandma and grandpa or whoever are not meant to take your pressure to live. That's why Paul told the Galatians, he said, everyone needs to bear their own load, all right, because it malfunctions the human. Forget about how it affects everybody else. It malfunctions us if we're not giving ourselves to diligent work. Yo, we need to get back to the understanding, work is a good thing. Work is a blessed thing. We're supposed to take the weight of it. We're supposed to, as Jordan Peterson says, carry the rock, because suddenly you'll feel like you have meaning. And some, some folks just get so doggone depressed because, dear heart, they ain't working enough. Like, they're like, I don't think i do anything. Well, baby, you don't. That's why you feel that way. <laughs> and God wants you to feel like you contribute, like you do stuff. And that doesn't mean we get, you know, feeling bad about ourselves. But also remember that your conscience can feel guilty as an alarm bell. We live in a generation that just like, oh, no one should ever make me feel guilty about anything. Well, God built in a conscience that is actually supposed to bring about feelings of guilt, not condemnation, but guilt to say, you know, alarm, alarm, <laughs> go the other way. This isn't what you're supposed to be doing. So we need to pay attention to it. We need to embrace it. And we need to recognize that there's favor on it. And we even need to recognize there's, there's a sanctification issue. You know, when I was a young man, when I was a teenager, I had heard that hard work was a good idea. People told me that was true, but every time I did hard work, I was like, I don't know that it is. <laughs> and so God had to get me, even in our early years you know, of ministry and early years of marriage, God had to get me into some really back-breaking hard jobs, 10 hours a day, to essentially lovingly beat the lazy dog out of me and help me, like, you know, you go home after a 10-hour day of working on the railroad, you're like, oh, that really, oh, man, I just beat the, beat the heck out of myself. But then you also have this little thought, but it kind of feels good. Kind of feels like I did something. Kind of feels like, you know, I'm doing what humans are supposed to do. And and I'm bringing all I got for the king. And especially young men, that is a really important feeling to have. And we got to enforce that among our kids as well. We got to, we're supposed to carry the rock, yo. And for some of us, we have to pay attention. If you're in a little cushier place, that you're just not phoning it in because that doesn't glorify the Lord either. When you can just coast, you know, I, I had a buddy tell me once, we were, we were working at this, I think it was like a Staples or something. He said, the best way to pass the day is just carry a hammer around like you're doing something. You know, that was his way of getting out of work. People won't ask you if you're carrying a hammer. And if you're in a place where you can just carry a hammer all day but not really get the things done that you were hired to do, that's bad. That isn't glorifying God with all that you have. Colossians 3, 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though you are working for the Lord and not for human beings. So I don't want to be disrespectful to anybody. But dear heart, don't don't let ourselves fall asleep even just because you can do something so functionally that you don't even have to pay attention anymore. And, And don't mooch. like Don't be, you know... I'm not trying to be mean, but don't be a mooch. Don't just lean on other people's gifts and their exertion of energy. And even if you're retired, I really believe you ought to start every day with a vision. Like, even if you, if you don't have to go to work, okay, well, wake up. Don't just check social media. Don't just see what's on TV. Like, have a vision for God. Even if all you're going to do all day is pray. Like, do something, God, it's, it's important. I'm alive for a reason here. You meant me to carry this rock. Even if no one's giving me money for it anymore, still I'm doing it unto you. Because work is ordained of God, dude, we should be doing it with excellence. We should be taking those jobs that we don't like and getting better at something and moving that thing forward. So many of you are very smart and you've got a job that, you, you know, it's not your favorite job, okay? But you can still learn stuff. You can still practice godliness in that job. You can still say, I'm going to utilize this job just to, just to serve people better. I'm just going to do it just to like learn how to be compassionate toward people I don't necessarily relate to. All of that is a part of glorifying God. You should use those times to grow in skill. We got to not start with, oh, I wish I had the perfect job. Well, Adam didn't even get a vote. God just put him, this where you are. Learn to do this. Learn to do it here and learn to do it well. Proverbs twenty-two, twenty-nine. 29. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Why should God promote us if we're not being faithful where we are? Like Why? And listen, there's no shame. In fact, there's great honor. And if you need to take some extra jobs, you need some stuff on the side just to get out of debt quicker, man, that's blessed. That's honor in the kingdom. That's fierce. That's tough. And don't allow just search for balance to keep you from doing something bold and radical and smart. God will balance you out. Just do right. Proverbs 12:11. whoever works his land will have plenty to eat, but the one who chases unrealistic dreams has no sense. Let me just clarify that I'm a dreamer, okay? I'm ready to believe God for big stuff. But every one of us who is a dreamer, we've also got to understand Jesus doesn't just typically ring your doorbell with an Amazon box full of your dream. All right? He says, start where you are. And some of us, you're discouraged because you're not where you want to be yet. And God says, go back to being faithful with what I've already given you. That is the path to where you want to go. Whatever I'm going to bring is going to be the next thing after you're faithful with this thing. Why does God do it this way? Because God does want us out of debt. God does want to prosper our finances, but he wants to prosper the whole man and woman, not just our bank account, not just your card. He's trying to create sons and daughters. So work is the pipeline God uses to get us money, but neither money nor the job are our source. It's a balanced biblical reality. God wants it super clear that he is the source. and He wants us to think about it. He wants us, even in our jobs, he wants us to remember, God is my source. I'm glad that I get to be here, or I'm not so glad that I get to be here, but God is still my source. It's not the work that is the wellspring. And Why is why, why Jesus concerned that we care about this? Because he knows it's super like humans to transfer our allegiance to money or the job as soon as you start to get some money. Okay, so Kenzie and I started out, we were, and I thank God for this. I know it sounds weird. I'm trying to be cavalier, but we're just really, we're dirt poor, man. Like y'all have heard the stories. We're dirt poor. And I'm thankful that we were because when you're in that stage, you know all you really have is God. You know what I'm saying? You know this is not enough for groceries this week. So you start praying and, and God comes through again and again and again and again. But when you start to get some money, it starts to cool you off to that desperate need for God. And there's a trick in there. And you can think, oh, this is, this, is, this is what helps me. This is what keeps me safe. This is what keeps me okay. That's why Jesus said, Matthew 6, 24, no one can be a slave of two masters. He will hate one and love the other. He will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I think we, let's just hear this. If you have money, you are in that war. Even if you don't feel like it, that, is, that, that villain is not going to stop fighting you for you to put your faith in it rather than in God. And when I say villain, I don't mean money is bad. I mean the, the suggestion that money is your, is your help is the one that holds you up. He says, this is why I tell you not to be worried about food and drink. You need in order to stay alive or about clothes, your body. After all, is life worth more than food? Isn't the body worth more than clothes? Look at the birds. They don't sow seeds, gather a harvest, and put in barns. Yet your Father in heaven takes care of them. There it is. Did you hear it? This is a lesser to greater argument. He takes care of them. He'll take care of you. But notice, he's the source. I think the birds, like they don't just sit there in their nest. They actually go look. But God is the one who gives it to them. And God is the one. If you have an income, or you have some way that you're paying the bills or whatever, let's all just give glory to God. That's God giving that to you. Even if you're working hard, it's still God. God is the one who's, in his mercy, lovingly routed it to you. And according to Jesus right here, it's kind of a sign of unbelief if we're not giving God the glory for that instead of something else. So I really believe, like, one practice that we could do practically this week is you could walk into your work or you could log on, however you do that. And as soon as you get there or as soon as you log on, just say, You're not my source hey, I appreciate you, job, appreciate you, money, but I just want to remind myself and every devil in hell, you are not my source. And if you walk into a job you don't like, you can say, well, bless God, I have a job. Um, I don't, I'm not particularly fond of this place right now, but I still give God praise that he's using it as a source for me of income that is really from him, and he's teaching me service, he's teaching me wisdom, he's teaching me how to love people, and he has me here for a purpose, because God is working his purpose in my life and he's all wise. How many think um, you needed a little Bible back to today? You think, can you think of somebody that you're going to share this with? Good. Well, don't just think about them. Think about you. So um, we have the source of money but also the danger of money. So God uses my money to solve some of my problems. But money is always trying to fool me into the illusion of self-sufficiency. It's true that money does solve some of our problems. I mean, God uses it to do that. Ecclesiastes 7:11. Wisdom is even better when you have money. I like that that's in the Bible. <laughs> hey, you got some wisdom? How about some money too? Yeah. So that, you know, that's godly. Wisdom is even better when you have money. Both are a benefit as you go through life. This is why we have savings. Like this this is why Jesus told us. He said, you're going to have many dark days just so you know, and money's going to help you with some of that. It's just gonna, because you had some money in the bank, you can just bail yourself out right there. And and that is from God. But here's one that maybe we're not considering. Money is great when you're burnt out. And life burns us out. And this past year has burnt us out. And we all get burnt out. We all get like, oh, this is too much. Do you know that it's godly for you to enjoy your money to refresh and to replenish? Yes, it's all God's. Yes, God is our source. Yes, he wants us to be wise, but he also actually does want us to enjoy our money. Ecclesiastes 9, 7 says, Go then, eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart. How many are going to practice that today? I don't know if you're going to drink wine or tang or whatever you're going to drink, but go home and you know you're going to practice this scripture right here. For God has already approved your works, New Testamentally, theologically, we're talking about in Christ there. Verse eight, let your clothes be white all the time and let not oil be lacking on your head. Now, you can take that literally if you want to and that'll be funny. Um, but what, what he's saying, this is an ancient Near Eastern way of saying, don't be afraid to doll yourself up. Don't be afraid, you know, to go out looking Good. Feel nice about yourself. Spend some money. Have some nice things. Enjoy it. There's a replenishment of the soul in that. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which God has given you under the sun, for this is your reward in life. Hey, you've got, if you're in Christ, you've got reward waiting for you in heaven, and that's for dog, on But there's some relief. There's some ease that comes from saying, you know, we're not gonna lose our minds, but we're going to enjoy something. And God has given us Money to be able to do that. 1 Timothy 6:17. Now here's both of them. He says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Somebody say unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for what? For our enjoyment. He gives it to us for our enjoyment. Hey, not only is there nothing wrong with it, but it's right and worshipful. Look, if God has made you enjoy golf and you go out golfing and you're out there with the Lord, God says, enjoy this. Don't feel bad about it. Enjoy it. If you're you know, a techno geek and you like new gadgets from time to time, God isn't wanting you to feel shame about it all the time. He wants you to enjoy it. Ladies, if you just want to buy yourselves flowers or... Hire a service that delivers them to you and you don't know who it's from. However you want to do that, enjoy it. God says, part of this money is for you to replenish and enjoy yourself. Spend, have some money to go on vacation. I made beautiful places, God says, around this world. Enjoy it. I'm going to show you myself in some of that. Sometimes you just got to treat yourself. You know what I'm saying? Now, you don't got to lose your own mind, but you got to treat yourself from time to time. But don't forget... Money is always trying to fool me into the illusion of self-sufficiency. It's always, it's, it, God uses it to be my little helper, but it's always trying to trick me. And that's the danger of it. Mark 4.18, Jesus is talking about these different, uh, how seed was sown among different heart soils. He says this, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, the Bible, God's word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and they choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Isn't that frightening? Like God has all this fruit that he wants to bear in the lives of his people as they devour God's word and they grow and, and they begin to bear fruit But Jesus says watch out because something comes along to destroy and kill and choke that fruit. It is the worries of this life but it's also the deceitfulness of riches. What, is, what are riches trying to deceive us into thinking? If you just get a little bit more, you'll be happy. That's one. They're trying to trick us. Hey, if you just get a little bit more, that'll make you happy. That'll be it. Even though Jesus said, even when, when one has an abundance, life does not consist of things. Another thing it's trying to say to you is, trust me. I got you. If you got me, money says, I got your back. And Jesus says, hey, man, have some. Have some for a rainy day. Get yourself out of problems. But don't ever trust it. Trust in your source because it's all from God. Everything, 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 everything that you have, everything that you love, the newest thing that you and I own will someday be at the bottom of a trash heap or underground or burning somewhere. It's all destined to go. God says, don't cling to that stuff. That stuff is not what you cling to. And plus, you know this. I mean, haven't we all seen this by now? It is rare that someone who is constantly on the the pursuit of just more and more stuff isn't really a grouchy, self-centered person you don't want to be around that doesn't really impact much of the world. I don't know about you, but I just don't want to be that dude. I want to be free from it. I want to be able to use it as God directs without it having a hold on me. So let's just decide. We're not going to trust money. Here's one more idea we need to get down. Money can numb us to our need for God. It is, it, it's very good. It's very helpful. Solves a lot of problems. God uses it. Wants us to enjoy it, rest with it. But it can also numb us. So let's just be careful. Let's just know. Mark 10, 17. And Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem and a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit Eternal life. He says, Why do you call me good? Jesus asked, Only God is truly good. Now, this is, I want you to see the irony here. Jesus is trying to get this guy out of trouble. He's trying to keep him from a. He's about to brag about himself, and Jesus just says, Slow your boat, buddy. Let me just tell you the answer. No one is good except for God. He's not saying that he's not God. He's just saying, I need you to know. If you're about to tell me how awesome you are at obeying the law, you're not. But of course, <laughs> the guy goes on anyway. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, even though you just told me the complete opposite, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Now check out Jesus because he's awesome because he doesn't condemn them. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me and it this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. What was this man's problem? Was Jesus saying, uh, was was he trying to pitch to him a works-based salvation of, well, I just need you to go do this, and then, man, you're saved? No. He was identifying the man's real problem, not his presentation problem. His real problem And saying, your problem, my friend, is your own sense of adequacy. And that's the problem that money can sometimes bring. The sense of one's own adequacy. Anytime we feel like, well, I think I'll probably be okay. This man even demonstrated a kind of interest in spiritual things. I really believe when you step into eternity, you're going to find out there were a lot of folks on earth who had a version of interest in religion, and who really wanted to be moral, upstanding people and thought that they really were. But the problem was all his stuff kept this dude from the sense of his own need for Jesus. It kept him from seeing it. If he would have seen Jesus do this one thing and then you'll feel it. Go go give this all stuff away and then you'll recognize how desperately you need Jesus. How desperately you need his help every single day. If you get rid of this stuff that numbs you in the way, now you're gonna feel it. Then you'll cast yourself on your feet and just like Peter, say, Lord, get away from me, from a man of unclean lips. And the Lord will say, If I don't clean you, you can never be clean. Money has a way of making us feel like we're gonna make it okay. And Jesus says, don't, don't you fall for it. And so what do we need to do? We need to probably pray every day, Lord. Help me sense my own inadequacy. I'm not my own source of either provision or righteousness. I don't obey the law perfectly. I'm breaking your law every day. I need Jesus' grace to cover me each and every millisecond of my life, and he is a great, great Savior, and he is well able to do such a thing. And we will find at the very end that Jesus loved us very well. That's what the man needs. And it's riches, Jesus identifies, that keeps him from understanding it. So we need to say to our money, maybe you need to say when you log on to your banking app, um, I am not your servant, you are my servant. And by the way, I'm the servant of Jesus Christ, therefore your highest purpose money is to be Jesus' servant. But I'm never going to submit to the idea that I'm your servant. I'll just, I don't just do to make more of you. I do to serve my God. Money can't provide lasting joy. Let's, let's land the plane here. Money can't provide lasting joy. You guys know this and just know that God has been saying this the whole time. The Bible was around long before you were. And before you were, God was saying this. He was saying, when you set your eyes on it, it's gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. Ecclesiastes 5.10, those who love money will never have enough how meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. I think it might be a spiritually profitable thing to do if you want to have a good time with Jesus is to search through Proverbs about what it says about money. And we're, here's some things you're going to find. There's a lot that the that Proverbs says is better than money. Okay, Stuff like humility is better than money, according to Proverbs. Righteous living is better than money. Tight relationships is better than having money. I don't know about you, but I found that to be true. Some of the richest times in my universe have nothing to do with money, and they have everything to do with having a clear conscience and being around people that I think are awesome. So let's just recognize, money doesn't provide security, and money isn't everything. What do we know? Work is the pipeline God uses to get us money, but neither the money nor the job are our source, and God uses money to solve some of my problems, but money is always trying to fool me into the illusion of self-sufficiency. Now, there is another important category that we didn't talk about today, but we're going to take all next week and talk about it. Let's pray. Lord, it's good just to bathe in your word, and I want to pray that you would quicken the things that were you for us today. Lord, I pray that they would keep coming back to our remembrance. God, you're so good. Thank you for calling us to things of meaning even when we don't see how they're meaningful. Thank you that you still say they are. Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize your activity in our work life, that you are using it to transform us into your image. I pray that you would continue to shape our hearts so that we would never think money is our source. It's only ever you. Lord, I pray that you'd give many of us the ability to maybe more freely enjoy a lot of what you've given us, recognizing that it is a gift directly from your heart. But, Master, I pray also that we would not be easily deceived, that we would recognize that this is a thing that will always try to tell us it is the best thing to have instead of you. God, we thank you for your word. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. you don't have a home church and you're looking for a Bible preaching community that has its heart set on passionately knowing Jesus and being his witness in our generation, check out Fierce.Church. We'd love for you to join us either digitally or in person. Also, if you're looking for leadership development related content, don't forget to check out the Fierce Leadership Podcast, available wherever you get your podcast from. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit Fierce.Church for more information. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button, take a screenshot and share it on social media or wherever you would share such things. Whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Jesus loves you so much and we love you. I hope someday we get to meet in person. Thanks again for listening.